Welcome back to the Stick 'em Up Podcast. Rudy, how are you doing today? Oh, doing not too bad yourself. Pretty good. It's been it's been a good week. Good to hear. Not uh, a how's big it feel as weekend. A fan? Uh yeah. Um mixed emotions. Mixed emotions, I would say. It was definitely an interesting weekend. Processing the trade and all that's for sure. Yeah, that's uh, there's there's some moving parts for it. There's a I have not seen any general consensus with the trade. I've seen I've seen Pittsburgh is the clear winners. The other two teams suck. I think well, I've seen a lot of people saying that uh, uh, San Jose got a lot back considering they unloaded a big contract. I've I've seen like every take under the sun that you could have about this trade. So uh, I'm curious to see what you think about it. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's lots of ways to to look at it. Um, before we kind of break it down, do you want to just uh, for everyone just kind of catch them up, list off uh, what the trade was here? Sure. So uh, we'll start off with Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh received Eric Carlson, and they also received Rem Pitlick from Montreal. This is a three-way trade. Uh, they also received Dylan Hemelik from San Jose and a 2026 third round pick from San Jose. Uh, San Jose received a 2024 first round pick from Pittsburgh, Mikhail Grandland from Pittsburgh, Jan Ruda from Pittsburgh, sorry, Stanley Cup champion Jan Ruda from Pittsburgh, and Mike Hoffman from Montreal. Uh, Montreal received a 2025 second round draft pick from Pittsburgh, Jeff Petrie from Pittsburgh, Casey DeSmith from Pittsburgh, and Nathan Laguerre from Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, and... Do you know who, what the uh, situation is with the cap retention? Yeah, so I was just going to say, so uh, the first round pick that Pittsburgh traded to San Jose, so that one is a conditional first. It is top 10 protected. Um, so if Pittsburgh ends up with a top 10 pick, uh, they're following draft pick the next year um, in the first round will be sent to San Jose. And then Eric Carlson was 13% retained. So he's coming into Pittsburgh at a 10 million, even a cap hit. And then 25% of Jeff Petrie, uh, his contract was retained going to Montreal. Okay. Did Montreal retain any of the Carlson contract or was that all San Jose? Yeah, it was all um, San Jose. Uh, Montreal just kind of helped out by taking on some cap space um, in terms of Jeff Petrie and Casey DeSmith, which they were able to do by also offloading Mike Hoffman's contract, who they were trying to get rid of. Right. So do we want to do we want to break it down how we think each team did individually? Yeah, I'm I'm good to do that. All right, let's uh we'll start with the probably the quickest one to talk about, I imagine, in Montreal. Uh what do you what do you think about the third team in? I mean, I would give I I mean, I wouldn't say in terms of like the hall for Montreal necessarily, but I would still give them like a A minus, even put like an A. Just because on the fact they were able to get rid of Hoffman's contract, which they were actively trying to do, to the point where they were willing to retain half of it, 
and trade him somewhere just so they didn't have to worry about buying him out. So you get him off the books. You get a free second round pick to basically had you a whether dismiss going to be the starter backup. I don't know, but they get a, either a one A or one B goalie, and they get Jeff Petrie back to help out on their defense, which is really hurting. So I mean, I think this is great for Montreal to kind of just be a filler to take on cap space from Pittsburgh because it helps them uh, right now, like improve in those areas that they need, and they got a free second round pick out of it. Yeah, I mean, so they're actively trying to get rid of Hoffman, which they got rid of without having to retain. And yep. then Rem, Pit- Rem Pitlick. So those are the only two pieces they lost, and they wanted to get rid of one of them. And then they got two, three players and a second-round pick. That's, that's pretty sweet to, to come in and get that. Yeah, that, that, that's very well done by them. It, it, when they're in a position where they didn't even really necessarily need to be involved in the trade, um, they found a way to get themselves in, and they just improved their team both now and um, in terms of the future because that second-round pick could, you know, be used to draft a player who could go on to play for them or it could be used as a future trade chip um, for Montreal if need be. Yeah, not to mention they got Jeff Petrie, who they need on defense, but they also got him at a discount because they got yeah. Pittsburgh to retain one and a half mil on that. So, yeah, I definitely think, I definitely think Montreal did well in this trade. Yeah, I, I 100% agree on that. Uh, next, let's go to San Jose. Uh, what do you think about what they got back for, for Carlson? Uh, um, I, I don't know. I, I have mixed emotions about it, though. I view it very similar, um, and, and I think similar to the way a lot of people did with the Timo Meyer trade. Uh, at first glance, like, it's... It, it feels underwhelming. Like, I know they did, you know, um, just a year ago, you know, Carlson was ranked in, like, one of the top five worst contracts in the league. It was like, you're now, you know, stuck there with 11 and a half of cap space and a guy who, you know, can't stay healthy. And when he is healthy, he wasn't doing good. You know, he was great last year. It was awesome to see. Can he maintain that? It's especially on the Sharks, I don't know. And he was able to actually stay healthy. If, you know, something goes wrong and he gets injured, then it's right back to that 11 and a half of dead cap space. Um, but I don't mind the return. I think, it, again, it's very similar to the Timo Meyer deal because it looked underwhelming at first. But I think the biggest thing was even just looking at, um, you know, kind of the two like prospects they got in Zetterland and Mukamadulin, I think are both going to be pretty good. I think Zetterland, you know, middle six guy, Mukamadulin probably a top four defenseman, I think. Um, but then it was that first round pick where, you know, later in the first round, it could have either been a guy like Easton Cowan, who Toronto took, who's viewed as, you know, one of the biggest reaches in the draft, or the Sharks who ended up getting Quinton Musty who a lot of people are saying that's one of the biggest steals of the draft. And so I think picking Musty there is kind of what made that trade, um, when trading away Meyer, kind of look a little bit more even. Um, with the players back, it really depends on what you get back when they eventually um, trade them to contenders, whether it's this upcoming season or the following one. 
Yeah, because they're most likely not looking to just run with Mike Hoffman or run with Granlund or Ruda. Like they're gonna be they're gonna be shipping them off to contenders for more picks or for prospects or something. So it uh yeah, this is definitely one of those trades that uh you don't know who wins uh or if there even is a winner really until uh later on when uh we know in the next few years how Pittsburgh's done with Carlson and what these guys even end up being for San Jose. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. I think right? I think at the time it like there's decent value there. Like those are three solid NHL players. Like I don't think any of them are, you know, fringe guys. Like they all have a good purpose on a on a good team. So I think they'll definitely get some yeah. good value back. And that first round pick, like, you know, uh, you might get to pick another musty if you're lucky later on. Or if, if something happens, you know, if their core age is that much more, like you said, if Carlson gets injured or something and, they, and that ends up being a top 10 pick, I don't see any scenario where if it is a top 10 pick that they get better the next year because they're going all in now. So if it does end up being a top 10 and it slips to next year, now you've got a team even worse than top 10 pick. So it could very easily be a lottery pick, and that's unprotected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even another thing with that first round pick, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how many people necessarily view it this way, but a big way that I view it is they've, they like, it, every, it's kind of assuming like that Pittsburgh's not going to have a top 10 pick. Like, I feel like they're, it's very unrealistic that they do. Um, yeah. But that now is something that San Jose can kind of focus on, be like, hey, odds are Pittsburgh's probably going to finish by the end of the season. Whatnot, their draft pick is probably going to be between, I would say, 20 to 32. And then so during the season, when you start to really figure out who those guys are going to be, kind of like a Quinton Musty, that is going to be going somewhere kind of in that range or potentially guys that could kind of fall back in that range, you can really kind of bear down more and focus on them um, to figure out which guy, if available, is the best possible guy to pick from that group. Yeah, not to mention, you know, San Jose, they're poised to be one of the, probably one of the top three favorites in the league for going for first overall this next year. You know, if you, if you have a, a 16th overall pick or a 20th overall pick, you can potentially bundle that with, you know, a third or a second overall to move up to first if you really like the top guy. Or, you know, you can move from fifth to third and, you know, make sure you get your guy. Like, uh, it's, it could definitely be, be a big piece for them around this time next year. Yeah, and it's obviously the biggest piece um, that they brought that they got back in the trade. Um, but with the other guys, once we kind of go through Pittsburgh side of the deal, I want to go back to those three players and just kind of ex- like kind of go in a little bit more in depth on um, where they might fit in with the Sharks or what what's right. going to happen with them. What I think will end up happening with them. All right, we can uh, we'll run back to that. Uh, I guess then, do we want to start talking about Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about Pittsburgh. The you know the trade was kind of 
revolved around with with getting Eric Carlson coming in at a ten million dollar cap hit now as well. Yeah, I think uh, underratedly, I'm not. I mean, so it's not a huge piece. It's obviously a third round pick, but uh, they got San Jose's third round pick in 2026. I like that they picked up that pick for three years in the future when they know they're going to be like, there's a 90% chance we're rebuilding at that point. Yeah. Like they're not taking, they're not taking the draft pick for now. They're taking it for later. So yeah, I, I do like that by Kyle Dubas, but uh, I do think this is a, a pretty, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It, it really depends what kind of Eric Carlson they get. If they get the Carlson of this past season, it's, it's great for them. But uh, what, is, what do you think this means for their, for, like, their team structure uh, regarding Carlson? You know, is, is the first line Latang Carlson? Is Latang a second, second pair D-man now? Um, yeah, it, th- there's a lot of aspects to the trade as a whole. Like, um, you know, I mean, originally, like, when, when it was kind of, you know, first coming out that, like, okay, like, he's going to get traded. It's just a matter of when and where. You know, it was really... Um, it was really Caroline and Pittsburgh were in it. Like, there was talks of, like, you know, there's mutual interest with, you know, Toronto and Seattle, but nothing ever really came out about it. Like, it was just reported, and then that was kind of it. It was dead. Um, yeah. And then all the stuff that happened with Carolina, you know... Uh, certain guys leaving and, uh, you know, bringing in D'Angelo kind of made it apparent like Carlson wasn't going there. So it was really Pittsburgh was the, the only team in in the running, which is why I think they were able to, you know, as of right now, I think get it at a really good deal for him, assuming he can maintain um, what he did last year. Where he fits in, I mean, I, I think when, you, when you're trading for a guy like Eric Carlson, it's like, you know, he's he's now your number one guy. I think he'll play on the top pair, and then you bump Latang down to the second pair. I think they're still going to tr- keep them probably at, like, similar ice times, though. I think they're still going to find a way to make sure that, like, pretty much if one of them isn't on the ice, the other one is almost. I think when you can run a one-two punch with yeah. that. Yeah, get almost, like, 24, 25 minutes a night out of each of them. Yeah. And then I, I'm assuming Carlson probably runs the top power play. And again, Latang kind of has to shift back and run the second one, which is, again, still a great one-two punch for, you know, guys on the back end for your power play. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so we saw this, that uh, something maybe not on the same level as Carlson Latang, but we saw something kind of similar this year with Tampa Bay. They, you know, they wanted Suryachev to take that next step and they moved him up to the power play one. But and a lot of people thought, you know, that's going to hurt Hedman's numbers. And it did fairly, fairly bit uh, this past year compared to years past. But it made our power play two better than it's been in at least five years. Because now we're saying a lot quarter, pl- quarterbacking always second. Great, so had a great power play as well. So to even improve it, it w- was, you know, awesome and something that I don't think anyone expected going into the season. Um. But yeah, I think that that's really going to help Pittsburgh's power play. You know, again, um, we I even mentioned it to you like the night before the trade. I said, like, let's look at it now. You know, Caroline is clearly out now. Dubis named himself as GM for the Penguins. 
And they just moved against so got is injured and going to be out. So they've, you know, cap space is currently open. Um, they need more firepower to help replace that for the time being, you know, till he comes back. So I, it was like Carlson's going to Pittsburgh now. And then 12 hours later, it's a done deal. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it has been rumored for a long time and, I, I think a lot of people are going to be hypercritical of San Jose in particular uh, with this, just because of the way they got Carlson. You know, they've been criticized uh, to hell and back for uh, that trade, and people are just sitting around wondering, you know, how how much are they going to be able to get back considering what they gave up for him? But at the end of the day, you just got to make the trade in the circumstances you're in, and you know. Worst case scenario for San Jose, they didn't make this trade and then he got injured or fell off this next season. And now you're back to, you're back to boat anchor contract that you can't move and you won't get anything back for him. So who knows? It, it might look like, even though he didn't get a ton, like even if you don't get a ton, it might look like a good trade just because you got rid of him now. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But uh, so now... The thing for me is like San Jose is clearly going through a rebuild. And, you know, if Eric Carlson didn't, um, you know, pop off the way he did last year, like if he played like he did the couple years prior, San Jose finishes last in the league and all those extra, you know, losses are the way different games go. They could have very well had the first, like best odds and won the draft lottery because, you know, anything could, could happen in a different reality. Um, but it's just, they had to, you know, like you, like, but they had to move him to allow them to be worse so that they can actually, again, contend for higher overall picks and get better players, but they're bringing back NHL players that are, you know, not on the level of Carson, but they're, they're making the team more well-rounded and able to compete when now they're going, now they're going away from the direction of the rebuild that they've committed to. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm suspecting that uh, some of these guys are going to get moved before the deadline. I think they'll probably keep a couple of them until the deadline. Uh, But, you know, if, if a team wants to come and pick up Jan Ruda, like, or whoever it's, you, you got to make those trades. Like you got to get worse before you get better. And I think, I think teams will come knocking. I mean, like, especially in the past about two or three years, uh, the price that teams have paid for players at the deadline has only gone up. Like we're seeing, we're seeing some bizarre names get picked up for like first round picks, you know, like, you know, the uh, Nick Foligno to name one, like guys that, uh, I don't know. Personally, I just uh, don't expect a lot of the ones that have got picked up for first round picks uh, to be worth that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're picking up those guys, do they have any retention slots yet left? So they so um, the Sharks have only one left because they've still got two more years on the Brent Burns retention and now four on the Carlson. So re- really, they only have one. Right. So the guy that makes, I mean, but again, so now the problem is 
and it's it's go- going back to even before the Carlson trade when they traded for Duclair and I said okay so now you've got different options if he's a great fit on the team and you know just is doing well and whatnot keep him because he's he's a young player he's good he's great for the future or you can retain half and then train Duclair you know who's a former 30 goal scorer for one and a half mil at the deadline like you're you could get something good back for him but now it's like now you have Hoffman who's got one year left and he's at four and a half so you know then you could only retain one and then Granlund and Ruda both have two years left so trading them this year and retaining doesn't make sense because now you don't have that retention slot at all for the remainder of that year or next season at all right so you're you're thinking we'll probably see a trade with retention on one of the guys with uh one year left on the contract yeah and my i'm most likely leaning towards hoffman just on the fact that he's at four and a half so it's you know a million and a half more than more on it yeah and, and every you know penny matters to um teams in contention trying to make it all work but again, it also kind of comes down to, you know, so now where does Hoffman fit into the lineup? Um, and then how, how does he do throughout the season? Because if he doesn't do good, nobody's going to want him. But if he's, you know, uh, already at 20, 25 goals or so by the trade deadline, there's going to be teams, you know, that are looking to add a guy like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be really interesting to see where all these guys get uh, divvy up, divvied up to, I assume, to a lot of contenders um hoffman uh do you know what uh what his stats were last year i can i can bring that up actually right here but i I don't even think they were like too bad like they're not like you know everybody still kind of compares him back to when he was in his prime in ottawa and expecting those kind of numbers but like he was still on a on a bad montreal team too he he did, did still put up like pretty respectable numbers if i'm not mistaken yeah, 67 games played last year, 14 goals, 20 assists for 34 points. So if he plays a full 82, he hits at least at least 40 points and 20 goals, 20, you know, 18, 19, 20 goals. Yeah. So that it, that's a, if you can get a guy like that at half retained for two and a half ish, that's that's pretty good depth pickup if you can slot that guy on your third line. Or on a really oh, deep team, yeah. maybe even the fourth. Like, yeah. But so now the biggest thing, though, again with San Jose is, so you want to rebuild, but you're bringing in these NHL players now, who are now taking away spots from you know your young guys that are ready to come up. Like they're at a complete logjam on forward and defense. Like they're, I mean, like I can just kind of rattle through it. So like. You know, your your centers down the middle now is going to be Hurdle, Couture, probably Granlund on the third. And then now Nico Sturm gets bumped down to the fourth. And then on the wings, you've got LeBanc and Duclair. Um, you know, maybe those two work together. And then Eklund and Hoffman, something like that. But then you still have um, Barabanov, Lindblom, Zetterland, Zadina, Smith, um, Luke Cunnan, who's coming off IR. And then right there, that's, you know, pre- like all your NHL guys. 
so now it doesn't even give the chance for any of your guys like Gushkin or Beastead or um, Bordalo. Like, none of them even really have a chance of sniffing making the team this year because they're not going to take one of these guys making decent money and, you know, bury him in the minors or anything if they're healthy. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm thinking that uh, San Jose hopefully will uh, unload a couple, of, a couple of these NHL players that they don't want to keep. Uh, before the start of the season. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously we see the majority of trades uh, right before the trade deadline or earlier than now in the summer. But if, you know, something to be said for if a team that's looking to contend, you know, picks up a, a Mike Hoffman, you know, they can, they can figure out where he goes in the lineup, you know, work on that chemistry all year. And then yeah. it's not like you're getting a brand new guy come, come halfway through March. You can, you can actually kind of know where you're going earlier in the season than picking them up late because, uh, you know, uh, not, to, not to be that guy that makes everything about his team, but, you know, we picked, uh, Tampa Bay picked up Brandon Hagel and people were wondering, oh, did they overpay for him? He doesn't look great uh, when we got him at the deadline. And then he looked all right in the playoffs. And then next season, he was gangbusters. He was great. Like, it just, it just takes some time for some of those guys. Like, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think more teams need to be a little, little more proactive and try and pick some guys up at the start of the year if they can, if they can try and have the foresight. You know, maybe, you know, for, for a team like uh, Colorado or something where it's like, their plan, they're expecting to make the playoffs. Maybe not for a, a team that's on the fringe trying to get in like uh, Ottawa, but for a team that knows they're getting in, make the move while it's available now. Yeah, well, it, it, exactly. Like, because, I mean, the, but the issue is, is that not only do they have that on forward, they have that on defense. Like, with Carlson gone now, Barrero is your number one defenseman. Like, I love the, love the guy, but like, he's not a number one defenseman. And then, obviously, Ruta's going to play, bringing him in. You've got Vlasic. You kind of have to play that contract. Benning, I think, is on a steal of a contract. Like, and he's, he was great last year. That's, like, your number one right-handed defenseman. But then, so there's four. You've still got Chimic back there. You've got Burroughs, who you just signed. You've got McDonald. And then, even still down for young guys, like... You've got Henry Thrun, who played last year and looked great. You've got Mukamadulin, who's maybe ready to go. They got um, Leon Gonki. I think that's how you pronounce it, Gonki, who they just traded for a couple weeks ago from Winnipeg, who a lot of people think is going to make the team and quarterback one of the power plays. And so you've also got a log jam up on uh, defense now, too. So I, I just, I, a part of me feels like. The Sharks are going to be making at least a couple trades before the season starts, whether it's even before uh, training camp and preseason or during the midst of it. I mean, that's literally was, you know, the team media day and whatnot when um, they traded for Carlson. So it's not out of the question, but I just feel like there's there's got to be a couple of trades that are that are going to fall, um, you know, within the next month, month and a half to you know, kind of clear out some of those guys that, you know, just there's no room for them or they're taking away spots from someone else. Yeah, 
and you know, uh, hopefully, you know, they're making the making the right trades, trading the older guys. Because I know it doesn't happen too often, but every once in a while, you'll see one of these teams uh, trade away some good young players uh, for draft picks or something, and you're just like wondering, like, aren't you, aren't you rebuilding now? Like, shouldn't you want that guy? Yeah, yeah, like there, and and not not even that necessarily, but like there's some guys like, you know, like. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to name specific players or anything, but like there are guys that you know aren't necessarily on the young side or the older side. Like they're right in the middle, but they just they don't fit. Like it's not like they're a bad player. It's just they don't fit on the Sharks with their you know just their structure and the way that they go. Like it's just not suited for their game. And I feel like they would thrive um, for other organizations. Whether you even have to take a you know a mid prospect or a later round pick just to open up that space for those young guys to actually develop who are a part of your future, I say go for it. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we see some exciting young guys start developing in the NHL uh, this season. Uh, I know Thomas Bordalo especially. Uh, I've, I was really excited for him to make the roster last year, and he didn't end up playing. So I'm, I'm really hoping this year he gets to play in the show or at least gets a chance to prove that he could be there. Well, and so that's a guy I'm, I'm looking at, like, with the biggest microscope out of anyone during, um, you know, training camp and preseason, because I really do believe if he doesn't make the Sharks this year, he's going to be traded. Like, as good of a prospect as he is, he's already 21 right now. And beginning of January, he's going to turn 22. So it's like, if he's you know, when he's come up and played, he's looked good, he's fit in. He just needs to get more reps to really get in into it full time and really allow himself to get comfortable and play to his strengths. And if he's not gonna be able to get that, like he needs to go somewhere else to where he can get that opportunity before it's too late. Yeah, you know, otherwise he's gonna he's gonna start losing that potentially. He's gonna start it's gonna start legitimately stunting his growth instead of just you know, some of the guys that, you know, they just, oh, whatever, I have to wait an extra year. But eventually it starts really hurting their development. Well, exactly, right? And it's the same boat with a lot of those guys from, uh, you know, when the Sharks had a really good draft year in in, um, uh, in, in 2020, because not only did they get Bordalo, but they also grabbed guys like Brandon Coe, who people think... Um, you know, could be a guy who's could maybe make that jump. You've also got Ozzy Weisblatt, who's you took took in the first round. Gushkin, who I think probably has the best chance out of all those guys except Bordalo to make it, and even still Tristan Robbins, who took in the second round. So it's like at most one of those guys is is going to be playing with the Sharks this year, and the rest are going to again be with the Barracuda and not get that opportunity at all. Yeah, so, so it's it'll uh we'll uh we'll be watching that as it develops. Yeah, but right but right now, um, you know, just through it, I would give Pittsburgh an A plus. I mean, they got rid of contracts that they were trying to get rid of. They brought in Eric Carlson when they're clearly in win now mode with their core of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, you know, that that group. They're they're trying to do one one more run, very similar to what Boston did. San Jose, I would give a a B2 right now, it could go down to a, like a C minus could go up to an A. It really depends on what they do with the rest 
of those players that they got? Um, what do they turn them into? Or do they lose in a free agency? Who knows? And then Montreal, I would give them an A because they didn't need to be a part of this trade. They got rid of a guy they didn't want. They brought in pieces they need, and they got a second-round pick. So, like, that's, yeah. that's sweet I feel like them. you very rarely see teams lose, like, at all when they're the third team into a trade. Like, I feel exactly, like right? they're, uh, in, a, in the next 10, 20 years, we might see a GM put together a really good team, and then we'll look back and be like, oh, he just was the third guy in, like, 10 trades in a row and just, like, kept gaining assets for, for retaining you know 500k or like taking one player in this trade yeah exactly right well i mean look at uh the coyotes i mean it's that's looking great for them now because vancouver i mean had to buy out um ekman larson because he didn't work there they're trying to get rid of connor garland and all the coyotes had to do is take some shitty contracts for literally one year when they were trying to be a bottom team anyways and they got dylan gunther out of it who's going to be a great probably first liner form in the future. So like that just sometimes taking on bad contracts or retained salary or not, like can pay off huge for a team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess while we're on the talk topic of Arizona, I don't know how much the story's developed since, but uh, it sounds like the owner has uh, put in a bid to buy some land for their new arena. Yeah. Well, so, uh, and it's that's, that's some positive news for Coyotes fans they haven't had in a while. Well, and it's like I said, you know, you, you they needed that first big domino to fall. And that was Logan Cooley deciding to sign there. Because at the beginning of the offseason, it was, you know, he's going back to, 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 like, to play university hockey or college hockey, whatever. And um, so it was like, shit, like, it's a very realistic possibility that he doesn't want to go play in that small 5,000 capacity arena. He doesn't want to be a part of the Coyotes organization. But then for him to flip back and now sign with them and be committed to, to there, much like Clayton Keller is, like that's a big showing of like, hey, these guys are actually trying to build something here. We need to step up and show them that we're on board with trying to keep, you know, hockey in Arizona. So... I hope it works out for the Coyotes because I really would like to, you know, see them come out of this rebuild strong like it's looking like they will be and have a nice arena to play in and show that they can be a successful franchise. Yeah, I mean, Arizona, I've been watching hockey long enough now that, uh, you know, I've seen uh, the ups and downs of majority of teams, but there's still a few select teams that I have never seen be good as I'm currently watching hockey and Arizona is one of them. Like they had, they had that one playoff run. Uh, but other, other than that, like they, I've yeah. pretty much always known them as a bottom feeding team. Uh, the only other team really like that at this point is Buffalo. And they're, they kind of came out of that last year and there really seems like they're going to come out of it this year. Yeah. And well, it's even like, you know, when you think back, like say f- four or five years ago, you know, people talking about teams like, oh, they should relocate. Like, it's just, it's a dumpster fire there. Players go there for their careers to die. It was always Arizona and Florida with the Panthers. But, I mean, look at Florida last yeah. year. Like, they were so close to going on pro- one of the greatest, you know, playoff runs ever. 
like they they came up just short, but like still, there's no reason why the Coyotes can't do that, you know, in a couple years. And now Florida's on the map. Like their players want to go there, they want to be a part of it. It's growing more and more there. And I think the Coyotes can easily follow suit with that. And this should, you know, what Florida did should incentivize the Coyotes to really run at it and be like, hey, we can actually do this. Because Florida just did no problem. Yeah, and I mean, two really similar uh, locations uh, for a team, you know. Uh, play, uh, generally speaking, a lot of players prefer to uh, play for teams in the States. Uh, they're both in, from states uh, that are nice and hot, you know. They're like destination places and they also have no state tax like it's realistically arizona should be like one of the places to be in the nhl and uh hopefully around the time they get the they get everything done they get their arena maybe it'll be that place yeah yeah and it's just, it was just nice last year to not see them just going out and grabbing all these guys on ltir just to gain more, you know, picks and prospects that they end up dumping away for nothing a couple years later. Like, it's nice to see them actually go with the group that they have and, you know, actually try to build now moving forward rather than either staying the same or moving back. So I'm excited to see what uh, what they can do do there. And hopefully they can, you know, figure something out for, for a new arena there. Yeah, I anyone who thinks that Arizona was actively trying to tank uh, last year. Uh, they clearly didn't watch any Coyotes games because if they wanted to tank, all they had to do was trade Karel Vimelka because yeah. he was stellar for them last year. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see if he gets even better because uh, I, I picked him up in fantasy last year. I, I was for a while. I was a, I was a big fan of him. Yeah, and even that, like a guy like Clayton Keller, you know, he's he's really entering his prime now. They're not a good team, so people are like, they could look to move him and, you know, give him the opportunity to flourish somewhere else and they can really rebuild. But they, you know, they hung on to him just like Vimelka and they're they're running with those guys now. They're not stepping back and be like, hey, we're going to try and rebuild again for the 90th yeah. time. They're like, we've got our guys, let's run with them. Regardless of if we don't get Bedard, we're still going to get a good player. And let's let's go with these guys. Like this is our core now. So it, it's a definitely a switch up from previous years, and I'm excited to uh, to watch how it plays out for them. So it could go anyway. Yeah. Uh, one last thing, I'm just gonna throw out there that I've been seeing a couple uh, rumblings around. Going back to Pittsburgh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's there's ru- rumors going around that Yager is set to resign with the Penguins one year at league minimum. No. Yeah, I, I saw it earlier today, and I wasn't sure if it was real, but uh, I just Googled it up, and there's a, there's a couple articles on it. Uh, it sounds like there's not much info past that. All the rumor is that he, it's going to be one year league min, but... Uh, It'd be really interesting to see if they actually did that. And who knows? Maybe that means they sign him to a contra- a one-day contract and he retires a, a penguin. Maybe, maybe he plays, you know, five minutes in their first game of the season and then retires. That, that, that's honestly kind of what I would think. 
Um, I just, I don't see, I mean, like, it is Yager, but he's 51. Yeah. Like, he, he can't play in the NHL anymore. The game has just evolved. It's too fast. I, I think it would, it would have to be something like he signs a one-year or a one-day contract and retires with the Penguins. Or it's like, no, the thing all along was, you know, they're bringing him in for some kind of, you know, management role or something. They're bringing him as, as part of their their management there. Like, I, I just don't see him actually signing him being a player on the Penguins roster next year. Yeah. It would I've, be cool to I've see, a lot but of I, people. I see no way that happens. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people who are excited, and they're like, dude, it's Yager. He, he'll come in and, and put up 40 points at least. But, dude, I... He's going to just be too some slow. Some players come back when they're older, like Chara, but like not 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 that old. Fifty one. That's yeah. That's crazy. Not only that, but fifty one and being out of the NHL for like five years. Yeah. Like, and then to come back in and with how much the game is, you know, evolved since then, I just it would be a disaster. Yeah, the league is only getting faster every year. Yeah. And that. That hurts those old guys that still have the skill that, you know, maybe if they were at that position in their career in 2000, they'd be able to stick around and they could be a power play two guy and play on the third, fourth line. Uh, now there's no place for them because, you know, every guy is just blowing past you. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Again, I really don't think anything's going to, you know, happen there unless, again, it's, sign and retire um but it's definitely something interesting to keep an eye on you know over the next uh next little bit and see if there's any actual truth to it yeah yager carlson like get lemieux back let's let's get the band back together let's make this an absolute fever dream for penguins fans yeah i mean it's also dubis so like who knows what could happen there (laughs) he's crazy he'll do it um is yeah so is, is there anything else you kind of wanted to uh to go over that i mean that's kind of the, the biggest news that's that's gone out lately definitely so I don't know if you definitely the biggest more thing or anything you wanted to uh uh not really a le- news around the league but i do have a series of posts here that i just want to run some of the numbers by by you here uh so these are this is a series of posts that have been on the r slash uh, hockey subreddit. Um, shout out to you uh, slash homicidal penguin for making these. Uh, basically, once a day for the last couple of days, he's been posting polls on who's the best center, who's the best winger, who's the best defenseman, goalie. Uh, I think currently t- uh, today he did coaches, and tomorrow he's going to do GMs. So. Maybe in the next episode, we can talk about those, the results of those two if we want. But yeah, uh, yeah these, uh, each of them got, it looks like around anywhere from 65,000 to 80-some thousand answers. And uh, so these are not like, you know, professionally or objectively right lists, but this is kind of popular opinion uh, ranking some of the players by position. Okay. Uh, um, one other thing to note is that uh, the the way it was formatted is uh, you go in to do the quiz and it just comes up with two names. It's just Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, and you click who you think's better. Yeah. And 
and it just it's you can vote as many times you want it's just infinite okay and so it's uh it's not like eighty thousand different people but it's eighty thousand uh answers were given yeah and so okay. the numbers the numbers uh besides the ranking that i'll be giving are the percentage of the time that person's button was clicked okay that makes sense yeah so you know realistically you know for the senders, you know, McDavid should probably be a hundred percent, but not every, you know, may misclicks. Maybe people are just homers and picking their guy over him. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, go through these uh, real quick. Uh, the results for the top centers in the league. Uh, number one, obviously, McDavid at uh, ninety-seven point six. Uh, then two, Leon Drysidle at ninety-two point six. Okay. Uh, number so three, Jason right? McKinnon at 92.4. So that one was actually really close between Dreisaitl and McKinnon. Okay. Uh, number four, Crosby at 90.9. I like that. Uh, number five, Austin Matthews at 89.8. So really close to Crosby. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's a good top. Like, that's good for the top five. That's yeah. the way it should be. This, this is where things get a little more controversial, I think. Uh, number six, Jack Hughes. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think... hate it, but I think it might be a little bit early a little to be bit putting early. him six already. Um, but yeah. I, I don't hate it. Uh, number seven, Alexander Barkov. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like him in yeah. there. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of people love to say he's one of the most underrated guys in the league. I think he somewhat quickly became almost overrated. Yeah, I was just, just about just to say, how, yeah. How good. And I like, would not even a lot of people touch talk him about in him the for top. A while. Yeah, and I wouldn't even touch him in the like top, top 10 after his, after his playoff performance. Like, no. Like, if we're doing everything up until now, like, that playoff performance from him was abysmal. As their captain and supposed to be their franchise player, like, no, I, I don't like him in the, the seventh spot, but again, you know, maybe someone sat there and kept clicking him for hours on end. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard to see what, you know, because when I was voting on them, I was basing it off a round of three-year period. What has this player done in the past three-ish years yeah. uh, for their team? So... You know, some guys that uh, like Jack Hughes who just broke out, I would have a bit lower. Yeah. Um, but uh, going after Barkov, number eight, uh, Elias Pettersson. Okay. I, I don't like him in the eighth spot, like actually. One. Yeah. That's, I, that's I a don't good spot mind that. for him, I think. He had, a, he had a huge year this past year. Yeah. Uh, number nine, like Jack for nine Eichel. and ten. Jack Eichel. Now, boo. I, I think that's I think that's a bit high, but I think Ooh. I think the recency bias with the playoffs uh, is probably where that comes from. But then, yeah, but then everybody seemed to fucking ignore that with Barkov. So, like, I I could easily list three guys I would take over um, Eichel. Like, it's I don't like him in that spot. Yeah. And then number ten, Braden Point. Yeah, I would take Point over Eichel. Yeah, personally, I think point I think he 10. should. I think I think point should probably be around that six seven spot, six seven eight somewhere in there. But uh, 
You yeah, know, I, I got, I, I got I, that I Homer bias, so him, it's, it's hard. Yeah, I would almost put him at eight and then move like Pedersen to nine, maybe. That's probably the way that I would do it. Uh, does uh, the list keep going from there on, though? Yeah, he did a different amount for each one. Like, I think he did 64, the top 64 for goalies. So he had, like, the top two goalies from each team ranked all the way. He just did the top 50 ranked uh, centermen here. Okay, so let's go to, like, 20. All right. So I'm curious we to see how, uh, how the rest of this falls. Where, where some of the guys I'm thinking of, where they ended up. Yeah, so at 11, we got Tage Thompson. Okay, so I would, I would put him... I, so right now, I would have him and Hughes, like, beside each other. I'd maybe give the nod to Hughes over top, but, like, still, I feel like, I feel like they I should be right beside each other on this list. Yeah, I think, I think they should probably be somewhere around uh, 9 and 10. Yeah. Each. Uh, number 12, Sebastian Ajo. Okay. I, so I would... And so I, Ajo's a guy I'd probably says like should be right there with Eichel. Yeah, I think he, he has a very similar similar valuation to Eichel. Yeah. Uh, 13, Tim Stutzel. That's uh, too too high for him. Great yeah, player, you know, I think I, within a couple years he could be up there, but again, it's just he's not. I I I would not put him in the same category right now with Tage Thompson and Hughes. Like he could easily get up there, but I wouldn't put him with them. But I would still have Hughes and Thompson around nine and ten or so. So I think Stutzel should be a little bit lower as of right now. Yeah, Plus the know, cups, I, I think doesn't help. I was, <laughs> I was kind of thinking that, but um, I'm looking at some of the names below him. I don't know how many of these guys that would take over Stutzel, though. Uh, number 14, uh, Evgeny Malkin. I mean, so yeah, so I would, I would take Stutzel over Malkin in terms of right now, just because Stutzel's, you know, way younger or not. But like the way that they're playing, like as of right now for one year, I'd probably take Malkin. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's literally just like uh, who the question is just phrased who's the better center? Like, yeah. It's, so some people are going off of, you know, who was better last year. Some people are going off of who's had the career. better career. Like, it's, or it's really up to interpretation. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 15, Anze Kopitar. All right. I don't hate that one. I don't hate that. He doesn't put up the points like the other guys do, but he plays a great defensive game. So I don't mind. I don't mind doing Insane that. Insane on the faceoff dot as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 16, Nico Heischer. Man, fuck. I, I'd have him higher, honestly. He puts yeah, up he's... decent points and, again, plays a great two-way game. Yeah, Selkie nominated this yeah. past year. He, he should be up in, like, again, probably just a bit below... Um, Hughes and Thompson, I'd probably like up in that 11 12 spot. Uh, 17, Mika Zabanajad. And I don't mind that. I'd maybe bump him up a couple, but like I don't mind him in that spot. Yeah. You know, when I saw this, I was actually surprised because I thought he was a winger. Because every oh, did you? freaking 
every freaking time he play uh, Tampa Bay plays the Rangers, he scores on the power play over on that dot. Oh yeah. He he scores from over there almost every time we've played against yeah. him in the last like two or three years, to the point where I just thought he was a winger. Yeah. I, I don't hate him in that spot though. I'm okay. Yeah, with I think that. that's, that's a decent that's spot. Right. Decent points, really good finish. Yeah. He's a really good goal scorer. He's Swedish, right. actually, but... <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Well, we're splitting hands. Anyways. anyway, uh, eight, uh, 18, Rupe Hints. There he is. I was wondering where Hints was. Yeah, I, he's I really interesting because he broke couple. out huge in the playoffs. Yeah, I'd have Best him up year. a couple because he's a great playoff guy. Wait, a million times better than Robinson. A um, little bit below Pavelski, but... That's not <laughs> saying much because Pavelski's... Elite in the playoffs, so um, to even be in the up in that conversation of being as good as Pavelski in the playoffs should have him higher in itself. Uh, number nine, nineteen. Sorry, uh, John Tavares. Boo! I can't think of any off the top of my head. I put above him, but boo! He should be lower. Uh, and number twenty, we got Dylan Larkin. No. You don't think Dylan Larkin's number 20 material? No, I would not put him 20. I would take Mark Shifley over Larkin. I'd take Elias Lindholm. Um, so I'm just trying to go through some other guys in my head. I would, I'd definitely take those two for sure. Lindholm do, is uh, mean, 22 and Shifley is 25. So, okay. they're, both, they're, so both, they're both fairly close. Okay, so who who is who's twenty? Go up to twenty five, and I'll say if I'd have those guys over Larkin. Those are probably some of the guys I'm not that aren't coming to my head right away. All right, uh, twenty one Barzell. Mm, very, very very identical players, so I'm okay with those guys being back to back. Yeah, so uh, Barzell twenty two, like I said, Lindholm twenty three, Suzuki. Yeah, I would take Suzuki over Larkin. I think I might too. Those I would, I would are take Suzuki. Those are fairly close. pretty close, but I would take Suzuki. Uh, twenty-four Bo Horvat. Mm. I would almost lean towards Horvat just because you know the two-way game you're getting out of him, and he can still put up relatively similar numbers to Larkin, maybe just a little bit less. But that defensive game holds way more value than a six, eight point difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's, that's too think, high for Larkin. But like, Detroit's really a interesting to see team, where so. some of the two way players landed on the list. Yeah. Yeah, because again, like you could almost, like, well, I don't know. Could you make the argument between like a guy like Larkin and Erickson Eck? based on last year. I feel like you almost could, again, if you're taking that two-way game into account. I think that one's a bit more of a stretch. Uh, I think think Larkin's actually gotten... He's only been getting better. Uh, He's... I definitely wasn't a huge fan of him before this past year. Uh, I'm still not exactly singing his praises, but he's, he's definitely shown... Like, I did not think he was a number one center. And, uh... 
I don't he's, know. He's, he's, he's definitely a number he's, one center. He's not he's that just, elite center that you think of. You know, your your Stephen Stamkos, your Crosby, and what have you. But I definitely think he can get the job done. He definitely can. Yeah, I just yeah, I think twenty is just too high for him. That's probably the one I disagree with the most on on that list. Actually, uh, maybe I clip whatever he was eight or seven or whatever. That one was also pretty high. But, uh, but yeah, overall, that's it's a, honestly not a terrible list, though. It's, like, that's actually it's not... Because when you were saying that, like, you know, mo- like, people could just sit there and keep hitting it over and over, it's like, hey, this list could act- is actually probably going to be pretty fucked. Like, that's honestly not I, bad. I definitely expected it to be worse than it was. Um, I'm glad to see McDavid so high above, like, Dreisaitl, 92.6, McDavid, 97.68. I'm honestly like, just very happy that those guys... Or one and two, because there's no other answer than those guys, really. Yeah, it's uh, the only real I mean, answer is that sometimes uh, the only argument is that sometimes Drysaddle ends up playing on McDavid's wing. Like the only, I was gonna the say, only argument you have is if he's not a centerman. I was only gonna, I was gonna say the only argument you can make is like, but it's it's still even a stretch just based on his regular season play alone. And how we can heat up in the playoffs, but sometimes just those cold streaks, like we saw him go through in the playoffs in the later half of the Vegas series, like that's really the only argument you could bring to the table for putting someone above dry sideless. He can maybe go through those cold streaks in the playoffs, but that can also happen to any player. So I don't, yeah, I, mean, I don't hold that against him very hard. Yet. Yeah, using if the playoffs as an example, thing, then maybe, but. Yeah, it's it's hard to, for the argument to be uh, his performance in the playoffs when he put up what what was it thirteen goals in twelve games? Yeah, exactly right. Like, so still even then, like that's impressive in itself. And I think more than anything, I don't think it's a knock on Dry Saddle. I think it really is just a matter of the fact of he just got worn out. Like him and McDavid yeah. were just playing absurd numbers in the playoffs. McDavid could kind of maintain it because again, McDavid is McDavid. Like, he's got that many yeah. votes for reason and whatnot. But I think Drysaddle literally just got burned out. I think he was just getting used way too much. It was just, eventually it just took a toll on him, and he couldn't maintain it. And that's not his fault on that the Oilers didn't have enough depth, and a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins couldn't step it up at all. Like, people are like, oh, he put up 100 points in the regular season. Yeah, but in the playoffs, he was a ghost. He was a bump. So, like, and it, I think that hurt Drysaddle because he had to carry all that extra slack that he they weren't getting from other guys. Yeah, more, more and, guys than just Newton and, Hopkins. It's just he was first to mind because he was the most evident. Yeah, and you know uh, you also got to wonder uh, how much pushback was there with other teams compared to Vegas? Like, I mean, uh, the one that obviously comes to mind, Petrangelo went right for the hands on Drysaddle. With that one yeah. like fireman shop with a stick, like he was swinging an axe like a murderer, like and that LA series. I got to was imagine seeing that. I got to imagine seeing that it kind of makes you play at least a little bit different, maybe even just subconsciously. You know, they knowing that there's guys that are <laughs> that crazy to do stuff like that, and I mean, it's they didn't just do it to any guy; they did it to Drysaddle. They're targeting him and McDavid specifically. Yeah, they they very clearly went out of their way to 
to target him. And and it, yeah, exactly. It, it definitely could, you know, whether he it was something on his mind or not, it could have subconsciously, you know, affected his play and he was just playing a little more conservative and not putting himself in those positions to have those cheap shots on him. It is multiple different things that um, it could have been. Yeah, but uh, uh, that's the uh, that was the thread on that. Um, that was good. I might just uh, go through the other ones. Uh, I'll maybe like list three or five at a time or something, just uh, for time's sake. Okay. Uh, here next we got the wingers. This one did have eight th- eighty thousand votes. Um, this one is just wingers. It's not left or right wing. Okay. So. They're, uh, they're lumped in together on this one. Uh, I, think, I think this one uh, people had more issue with than uh, in general uh, with where people, some people ended up than the centers. Um, okay. I, I think most people had most issues with the goalies one, even though I thought that one was probably the most accurate. Okay. But, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so number one, two, and three... We have David Pasternak, Matthew Kachuk, and Nikita Kucherov. Okay. And uh, number four, we have Miko Rantanen. Um, I, I'm just going to say those four for now, just because uh, Pasternak had 90.2% votes. Kachuk had 90%. So it was really wow. close between those two for one. And then Kucherov and Rantanen was Kucherov 86.86 and Rantanen at 86.5. So that those two were really close. close for three and four. Wow. Okay, it's pretty, pretty close in between them, yeah. Yeah. Personally, I, I would, I mean, uh, you're probably going to hear me all the time say that I'm a homer, uh, but I would take... Uh, Kucherov there, but it's hard to argue with anyone after what Kachuk did in the playoffs and the regular season goal scoring. I was, was going to say, if just it, had, like, yeah, if out of those four guys, if I had to list them from like one to four, I'd probably, and this is coming from someone who before, you know, five months ago really disliked Matthew Kachuk, but I would put Kachuk one, um, Kucherov two, um, Pasternak three, and then I put Ratnan four. But yeah, I mean, you I can know. very easily make the argument for Kucherov over Kachuk. Like, maybe it's more so for me just recency bias based on him going just out of his mind in the playoffs. Uh, but you could easily make the argument for he Kucherov. He did also have an incredible regular season. Like, that, that too, yeah. There, there's some real talent out there. Um, yeah, I was surprised. There were some people saying that they, they would not be surprised if Rantanen was moving up the list uh, if they did this next year. And uh, I was surprised to hear that. Just, like, Rantanen's really good. He's absolutely elite. But, like, the, those three guys above him are, like, franchise-altering wingers. And I'm not saying that Rantanen isn't that, but, you know, he... He doesn't scream like the player. This is the player that that makes that massive difference. Like this is the yeah. guy that the defensemen yeah. have to key onto, or he's scoring. Yeah, and and the way that I view it more than anything is just the fact of like 
we've seen with with on Tampa Bay for times that Kucherov carries a line on his own. Um, Kachuk in the playoffs very clearly carried a line on his own. But like Pasternak, he's always had Bergeron and Marchand with him. Uh, Ranton has always had, you know, McKinnon and Landeskog, or even back on defense, he has Makar. You know, I just more so look at the guys that are very can very clearly carry a line on their own and still be those franchise players right. compared to the guys who we've never really seen kind of fully just on their own and having to do it. They've always had that that elite talent right there with them who end up, you know, helping them out a lot. So, but again, that could very well change now with Boston, um, with Bergeron, like Pasternak could take the reins and really just carry a whole line on his own, let Marchand carry another one. Um, but yeah. as of right now, that's, I would put Kachuk and Kucherov ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested, especially after how many goals did Pasternak have last year? Was it like, I think it was 61. 60. I think six. Like, yeah, something like he, that. Like, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how many goals, how many points he puts up this year without Bergeron, you know? Yeah, like, I could see it falling to, like, 40, but he, he's got a wicked shot, and he's got a great hockey IQ. I could see him putting up 55 again. Like, yeah, it, uh, that'll be interesting to, to see. God, I can't freaking wait till hockey starts up. Yeah, it's, there's going to be so many interesting storylines and stuff to focus on during the season yeah. all right we'll go to we'll start uh starting at five we'll go to 10 here uh jason robertson mitch okay. marner kirill kaprizov brad marchand artemi panarin and steven stamkos okay that's, that's honestly not a terrible list I definitely like, think it's, it's not bad. I think the order could change maybe on some of the them. order. Definitely I don't could. think it's any guys that seem out of place in the top 10. No, like I'm, I'm trying to think of guys that I can clearly say like they should be in there, but off the top of my head, I'm like, no one's really coming to mind that I could be like, yeah, they're a top 10 winger in the league. Um, that, yeah, that, that's probably the group I would have for that. Again, like obviously a couple guys could, you know, be moved around here and there but overall that's honestly not a terrible list yeah i think i think like maybe uh you could make the argument for moving johnny goudreau in there uh it's kind of hard to after this past season just because his numbers dropped because he's obviously playing in columbus now yeah um Personally, I would, I would, I mean, I'd like to be able to say that uh, Huberto belongs in there, but after well, the past just, season, he was, it's was hard kind of to coming make that to Like, if you made the list a year ago, Huberto has to be in there. But now it's like, can you even make the argument for him? Yeah, before 15? this past year, I'd have him in my top five. Yeah, now he's probably like, sniffing around twenty as of right now. So, it, again, lot, lot can change here. Like next year, it could be, you know, is Pasternak really? What was he number two? Like, is he really, or number one? Like, uh, he could be one. around 10 next year. Like, if he only puts up 35 to 40 and, you know, 80 to 85 points, like, you can't make the argument for him being in the top five, I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how much it changes year to year. You know, you can't take a, you can't take a single year off and still be at the top of these because there's so many elite players in the league right now. I was, I was thinking about that when I was looking at the goalie list earlier that like 
around like three or four years ago, there was such a lack of goalie talent in the league. Like you couldn't, you couldn't go out and get a starting goalie because everyone was holding onto them so tight. Like all the, all the guys, like the, you know, the, the Lundquist and the Pecorines, they had all just retired and none of these young guys uh, like, you know, uh, Sorokin or Shesterkin had come in yet. And it was like, it was like Vassy, Hellebuck, and then I guess there's some other goalies. Basically, to explain how bad it was, was at one point Peter Morazic was viewed as like a top 15 goalie in the league. <laughs> yeah, like... And he's ranked the worst out of any starting goalie in the league. So, like, it, it just shows, like, how far the goaltending talent has come in the league over the last five years. Yeah, there's a lot of good young goalies. Um, but uh, going from starting at 11, we got Alexander Ovechkin. I like, uh, I like that. Good for William me. Nylander. Yeah, I like that. Brady Kachuk. Yep, yeah, I'm okay with that. Johnny Goudreau. Yep. Yeah. Mark Stone. Uh, if he's healthy, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to boo on that one. Oh, well, boo. Um, <laughs> if healthy, yeah. If it's the Mark Stone where you know you've got him for 40 games and then he's, you know, taking him for the team and sitting on IR till playoffs, then not even top 25. But if he's actually healthy and can play, then, yeah, I'm okay with that. But boo <laughs> uh, 16, Timo Meyer. Yeah. That's a good spot uh, for him. 17, and I think this is the most commonly one that people were saying underrated uh, in the comments. Uh, Connor. 17 is Kyle Connor. Yep. Yeah, there it is. I was wondering, because as soon as you said Meyer, I was like, again, it depends on what kind of player you want, but you can make the argument for Connor above Meyer. I think I would take Connor over Stone. Yeah, Kyle Connor is one of those guys where, again, though, he's always really had a good forward group around him um he's great on the power play but yeah yeah, he's one of those guys that i probably should be a little bit higher up i i'll up in that brady kachuk area i would say probably maybe even over kachuk but again it depends on the kind of player you want because two very different players uh and then 18 19 and 20 we have andre svechnikov jonathan huberdo at 19 which That's is pretty yeah. close to what you said he was be at 20. And at 20, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Okay, yeah. We're in a world where Ryan Nugent Hopkins is now a winger all of a sudden, and he's top 20. No. No. Yeah. I could literally go out there on the Oilers power play and just have the puck bounce off my ass to McDavid, and he goes end-to-end. Like, it's not hard. Or even Dreisaitl. Yeah. Or Evan yeah. Bouchard, who's a, you know... The next coming of Bobby Orr. Um, no, there, in, in no way would I put Nugent Hopkins top 20. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would take JT Miller over Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, one of the one of the most annoying things that I've seen over this past uh, season is how many Oilers player uh, fans are talking about uh, how they always knew that Ryan Nugent Hopkins was a hundred point player. 
as if he like carried his line and drove play for all 100 points like yeah yeah there's there's just he's a great player he's not that level no he's not even sniffing that area like um give me like two seconds players want to know yeah well i've got like i'm I'm, i've got why i've just off the top of my head right now already rattled um oh I can do him because he's actually on the Oilers, so that also helps. Uh, I've got seven guys that I just came up with off the top of my head that I would take over Nugent Hopkins in, in a heartbeat without question. Um, and, and, and you tell me if you would take them over Nugent Hopkins. All right. JT Miller. Are these all, are these all wingers as well? Yeah. Is, is Miller a winger? I think he was on the... He's kind of back and forth. I kind of have him more as a winger. He takes a lot of face-offs, but I think he plays more on the wing, or at least did last year. Okay. Uh, I I think I'd take Miller if if we're going based on just the player skill and not and yeah. not locker room whatevers. Yeah, Miller. Clayton Keller. Uh, I'd definitely take Clayton Keller, who is twenty-one, right below him. Okay, Kevin Fiala. That one's a bit tougher. I think Kevin Fiala, though. I, yeah, I would take Fiala. Joe Pavalski. I mean, I would take Pavalski still. Yeah, yeah Pavs. Uh, this one's maybe a little bit close. So Philip Forsberg. But I would still take Forsberg. I think I'd take Nugent Hopkins there. Over Philip Forsberg? Oh, maybe. I would definitely no would have said way. Forsberg two or, one or two years ago. But like, what, did, what were his numbers this past year? I don't know. I feel like I didn't hear anything about on a, but on a shitty Nashville team riddled with injuries. Um, I'll pull him up right now here. So last season, Philip Forsberg in 50 games, 19 goals, 23 assists. So like not great, but again, on a shitty, on um, a shitty team, 50 games played. And and that's uh, not only how many points did you say? 42, which in 50 oh. games is almost equivalent to the amount of even strength points that Nugent Hopkins had because he had over 50 on the power play alone. Yeah. For a second, so I thought he said 20, maybe... so I thought he got 19 goals and one assist. I was like, oh, oh shit. No. What a legend. Um, a guy I'm also kind of surprised, maybe, I don't know if people are assuming his injury is like super bad or something, but Patrick Kane, like... Uh, I think Patrick Kane was on there. Uh, no, you would I, I not take Nugent Hopkins take over Hopkins. over if Patrick we're talking Kane. Prime, I'm taking Patrick Kane. But as of right uh, now, I would, I would like you. You put Kane in Nugent Hopkins spot on the Oilers. Like Kane clears a hundred points, Kane, or hundred and twenty points easily. In in that spot, it, uh, replacing him on the Oilers, I'd probably do it. But if I'm building a team, like the way he's the way he's playing right now. Like, he wasn't even leading the Blackhawks when he got traded in points. And he did not play very well for the Rangers once they got to the playoffs. Like, yeah, I, I don't focus on the Rangers. Thing is, yeah, the Blackhawks one is kind of bad, but the Rangers, I mean, he was just thrown into a mix of a bunch of guys. He never really got a chance. Um, okay, but anyway, so move, aside from... Oh, I can throw him down, actually. Uh, this one's probably the close one. I would say Debrinkit. It's kind of close, but you that's, can make the argument for DeBrinket over. I think I would take 
probably Debrinket. Yeah. Uh, Zach Hyman, who's on the Oilers, I would take Hyman. Uh, I think I'd probably take I mean, it's, Nugent it's Hopkins. Close. I think he's it's got more close, skill. But I, think I would take Hyman for the all-around everything you get from him. He's definitely um, more all-around. That one's close. And then the last one, like, Jake Gensel. I was hoping you'd say him. Absolutely, Jake Gensel. Like, I think Jake he's Gensel. so underrated. He's number 22. Yeah, I, I, would, I would have Nugent Hopkins. Honestly, for me, he'd be back more around the 30, I think. Yeah, like I think you take, you know, you throw him into the position that, you know, Clayton Keller is in in Arizona, or Philip Forsberg in Nashville. Like he doesn't touch the numbers that those guys have. Yeah, um, so that, that's probably the one I have the biggest issue with out of anything on any of these lists. Yeah, that's, but I that's mean, it's the tough. Oilers, so like I can, I can see why he maybe ended up on there. Yeah. Uh, any uh, other specific wingers you want to see their spot on as long as they're um, in the top 50? There's no other guys that are coming to mind for me. Like off the top of my head that I'm like, ooh, I wonder where they ended up. Yeah. Uh, a couple of ones that I noticed felt like a bit off. Uh, Carter Verhage, 34. He should be higher. Yeah, yeah, I'd have him up around 30. Right around that 30 spot with Nugent Hopkins. I'd take Nugent Hopkins. I think I would too, honestly, like thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, where, where was the other one I was looking at? Uh, Kevin oh. Fiala's at 33. Fiala's 33. Another guy would, in a heartbeat, in a million years, easily take over... Um, Nugent Hopkins, Sam Reinhart. <laughs> Sam Reinhart, number 50. That's so fucking criminally low. That is so low. Um, I'm going to see if I can... Um, yeah, looking at some of the names above him, like Matt Zuccarello is 45. Also, Marty Natchez, 48. Did, Marty, did Natchez not just, like, lead... Didn't he lead the Hurricanes in points this year? Uh, Unless I'm thinking he might of have. someone else. Hurricanes point leader. Don't give me all time. Oh, it gave me all time. Okay, well, that's just wrong. Eric Stahl does not have 3,033 points. You're wrong. Um, I'm just trying to wow. find it here because I remember seeing it. That low-scoring year in Carolina, my God. They're such a good team. I thought they'd have more. Natchez was their leading scorer with 71 points, then Ajo with 67. They only had three guys with over 60 points this year. Really? Yeah, and the only one's Brent Burns. Ah, my man. I guess Svechnikov only played 64 games. He would have made it. But that's a... There's a lot lower numbers than I expected. Although they have a lot of guys that are above, like, 30 and 20. It's just scoring by committee. Yeah, I'm trying to find... Um, uh, I'm trying to find... Because there's something about Sam Reinhardt that someone did to, like, really just be, like... 
look how like um is it like one of those like advanced models on like their or like production or something yeah where oh uh, i can't find but it, yeah it was like literally showing like just how underrated sam reinhardt is but i can't uh I can't find it here. Damn! I wish I saved it. I should have. You you should have. I should because yeah, when I saw it, I was like, damn! Like this is really impressive that nobody talks about because Sam Reiner just doesn't get that um that 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 recognition that he deserves. But I I would easily take him over Nugent Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, we'll move to the defenseman now. Uh, this one is a lot more contentious. Like, the number one player got 85.5. That was, like, Ooh, okay. that was like number 15 for the centerman. Like, that was way, way down there. So yeah. there was a lot more, lot more people disagreeing on this one. Uh, okay. So number one, two, and three, respectively, are Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, and Victor Hedman. Um, I'm okay with that top three. I think I think that's a good top three. Uh, I would not blame anyone who puts, uh, especially Roman Yossi, up there instead of Hedman after this past year, uh, just because Hedman's numbers were down. He had a bitter injury, and he was also on the second power play. He was getting less minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really hoping he has a bounce back year. He wasn't really down, just you know, injured and less minutes, but uh, hopefully he gets those numbers back up. Um, but uh, four, five, and six: Roman Yossi, Miro Heiskanen, and Charlie McAvoy. Rome, wait, sorry, repeat that: Roman Yossi, Miro Heiskanen, and Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay with with that for four, five, and six. Uh, number seven: Eric Carlson. Yeah, I mean, yeah, after last year, yeah, he's, he's found his way back up in there. Yeah, I was really curious to see where he'd end up just because people were so down on him, and then he put up 100 points and won the Norris. So, like, you could, you could see him being yeah. number one, but, like, if people are still writing the contract, I could have seen him being as low as, like, 20. Like, it really depends how people vote with that, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, 8, 9, and 10, Rasmus Dahlin. Quinn Hughes and Jacob Slavin. Okay. So I think I think pretty much all ten of those guys deserve to be in the top ten. Personally, and I know a lot of people are not gonna like it, I wouldn't have Jacob Slavin in there. Really? I I know a lot of people he think he's the the hidden gem of defense. Um but I, I just think when you're talking about at that elite level, the top 10 defensemen in the NHL, I think, I think you have to be able to put up those points and be able to play at least serviceable defense. I, I, okay, so I, I can see your argument there and for that. Obviously, I can see incredible that. defensively. Because, but. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, San Jose, how, you know, at, at a point in time, Vlasic was a, you know, a top two, top three defensive defenseman in the league. 
Uh, he could easily shut down the other team's, you know, top lines and top players on a nightly basis. But he didn't put up those high pointos, so he's never looked at as, you know, a top 10 or 15 defenseman in the league. So I can, you, yeah. know, you can make that argument for Slavin. Like, he, pro- he puts up more points, I'd say, than Vlasic did. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess to... Compared to the guys right beside him. Uh, yeah. It's not quite there. Yeah. Okay, um, I, I can see your argument there. If I, I'm trying to think of uh, other... If uh, on top of the first nine, who I'd replace Slavin with, maybe Aaron Ekblad... He, oh man, it's too bad he went down with that horrible leg injury like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Because lo- he was looking like a freaking Norris front runner that year. He, he was like yeah. slightly above a point per game, I think, and still playing really well defensively. And they just went down and he's, he's still pretty good, but he's not quite the same. Not at that level that he was heating up to. Yeah, I, I think right now I, I would still take... Slavin, but I mean, if Ekblad gets back to that that form, I you could easily make the argument for Ekblad. Yeah, but yeah, I really like that top ten. Uh, the teens here get a bit sketchy pretty quickly. Uh, number eleven, Maurice Sider. Too high. That that's too high. He's, way too high. He looks like he's going to be great, but right now that's too high. And especially after last year, like way too high. Yeah. Uh, number twelve, Alex Petrangelo. All right, eh, that's, 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 not a de- that's not a bad spot for him, but boo. Uh, 13, Devon Taves. Too high. I, I also think it's too high, yeah. Like, again, great player and whatnot, but again, really, he, everyone's like, oh, we finally hit his prime. It's like, no, he stopped playing in a defensive structure at the Islanders to a run-and-gun offensive style, playing with fucking Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, like... Yeah, like you just got put in the best possible position for him. I would not have him in the top 15 at all. Yeah, I think he probably makes top 20, which, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a top 20 defenseman in a league. Like, not saying he's bad by any means, but you know, Mm -hmm. that's some of the guys he's above is more the issue. Yeah, Uh, 14, Aaron Ekblad. Okay, yeah. No, that's fair for Ekblad as of right now. Definitely could move up by next year. Uh, 15, Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, like I would take Hamilton over Taves. Uh, number 16, Morgan Riley. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad spot for Riley. Yeah, it's always so, okay. it's so hard to judge. He's always so hard to judge, as is most guys from Toronto, because he has a good game, and you hear about it nonstop and then he has a bad game and the or a bad play and the highlights are everywhere. Like Yeah, exactly. They're right. just so under a microscope. Yeah. I tell you what though, playing playing uh having my team play against Toronto in back to back years in the playoffs, that dude is a freaking killer in the playoffs. Like yeah, he is. people talk about their big players not showing up. Dude is scoring like a forward. Like goal yeah, scoring, not just points are there in the playoff performers. But I think he's sure. got five goals in the in the two playoff series as a defenseman against us. Like, yeah. Uh, God, where was I? Seventeen, Hampus Lindholm. All right, yeah, he had a really solid year last year. That's okay. Yeah, I think I'd still have him a bit lower, just because. I guess it I depends on who higher on some of these below guys. him. 
Yeah. There, there are guys going all the way down to at a quick glance to like 28 where I'd probably have them higher okay. than some of these guys we've named already. Like, there's, there, there's some good names left. Uh, 18, Shea Theodore. All right. Yeah, that's, yeah. Boo. Uh, 19, Chris Letang. Okay. I, I maybe have Letang at a 21, 22, probably, at this stage in time now. But not uh, a bad spot. Number 20, Drew Doughty. That's actually, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't honestly, if I could get plays, I'd almost like, even bump him up a couple. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like people all he's of a really sudden got really life. down on him, but he's still putting up decent numbers. He's a minute eater. He's still like top 10 in the league for minutes yeah. played every year. And he goes and he plays hard. Like he's not one of those guys who can log, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game because he plays passive and whatnot. Like he's, he's gritty. He goes hard. He battles like, and he puts up those numbers like, Awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, 21, Mikhail Sergachev. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably... I'd bump him up a couple. Yeah, I, I could see him as high as like maybe an 18. Could, could but I go think up that's even more after next, after next season. Yeah. Yeah, I think he has the potential to definitely get up. Definitely get up there, but... Yeah. I think that's a decent spot right now. Uh, number twenty two. notable. This is, this is one of the biggest ones I have issue with. Uh, number twenty two, Josh Morrissey. I was just about to say Josh Morrissey. Now that that one's not bad. I mean, he's he's been serviceable throughout his whole career. He really just took stride last year. I think before I put him in the top twenty, I'd like to see him do it at least two seasons in a row. Yeah. Um. But like, I mean, based on last year alone, you can make the argument for him in the top twenty. But I think looking at it as a whole, I would probably, I'm fine with him in that spot. But like it, it could, again, like Sergeyev, it could easily go up quite a bit by next year. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at, like, from like 25 to 28, I, I feel like almost all of those guys could move up. Uh, number 20, uh, what are we at? 23, Jacob Chikrin. All right. I, I may put him a bit lower, but... Yeah, I think maybe a bit lower, but that's, that's not terrible. Where the fuck uh, is Vince done? Uh, at 30th. Oh. Thought he was coming up soon. Uh, number 24, Matthias Ekholm. Yeah, that's, that's okay. I think he's boosted heavy by, you know, going into that Oilers team. I think if he stayed on Nashville, he probably wouldn't even sniff 35. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably be thirty-five I mean, to forty if he he's on the there. Oilers, and it helped him hit a different level and really shine. So, like, it, it, I guess that is a fair spot for him as of right now, if he can maintain yeah. what he did. Uh, Twenty-five, Zach Wierenski. Yeah, he's a weird one to judge because he really didn't play at all last year. So, yeah, like if he played I... at all last year, he could easily maybe even be up around the fifteen spot. He yeah, could have even I'd, dropped to 35 because like he didn't play last year. There. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Wierenski's game, but uh, yeah, he didn't play much last year, so it's hard to justify him too high. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 26, the beard, Brent Burns. I was, I was wondering where Burns was, yeah. I, I, so I, would even, I mean, I'm obsessed with Burns, but I would still even have him a bit higher. Like He was a 
just an animal in the playoffs. Even at his age, he's still doing great. Like, I he's yeah. probably probably now at this point in his career, he's probably fallen out of the top twenty realistically. But like twenty one, twenty two is still very reasonable for him. Yeah, and I mean, like I said earlier, I think he had sixty one points this year, third on their team in points. Yeah, like he's still playing just great levels of hockey. So I'd I'd have him up a little bit higher, but it's what it is. Uh, twenty seven, Thomas Chabot. Yeah, I'd have him above Chikrin, I think. As yeah, long as he's not having very his slightly in higher, the face, like maybe a twenty four, but... twenty five. Yeah. Uh, 28, Mackenzie Weger. Yeah, another guy like Huberdo could have been way higher up, but just last year in Calgary just really... I, I he had a really stock. good year in last year. Yeah, but just not... like what he, what he, he just wasn't what he was uh, the year before with Florida. I, I think I'd still bump him up a good bit, but uh, probably not out of the top 20. Yeah, no, he's, we're not into the top 20, no, rather. He's not top 20, no. Uh, this I found interesting. Right after Uyghur, uh 29, Noah Hannafin. So they oh, had okay. Uyghur and Hannafin back-to-back. Over Anderson is interesting. Yeah, I feel like Rasmus Anderson, Anderson is one of those guys that just gets... He's so underrated now. Yeah. Like, he just... He doesn't get the spotlight on him as a top defenseman, even though he is the top defenseman on the Flames. And he's right up there to maybe be captain. Like, I would. But again, it's a weird list because, like, you know, is like uh, just two guys I'm thinking that should be around that 30 spot at least is Noah Dobson and Adam Pellick. Uh, Adam Pellick, number 40. Noah Dobson, 48. Yeah, so, and again, like, two two completely different players, so it's, again, which player do you want more? But, like, overall, like, Adam Pellick, I mean, if Slavin's as high as he is, Pellick should be up there. He doesn't put up the amount of points Slavin does, but he's probably the best defensive defenseman in the league. Like, if you need a guy in, in your own end in crunch time, he's probably the guy most GMs would want. So, but he, again, it's just he doesn't put up those high point totals, so I'm not sure why Slavin is that high in Pellick's that low, but what can you yeah. do? There's a, that, that list uh, is there's a lot of issues within that list, I would say, out of compared to the other ones. Yeah. Um, just some other ones that stick out. I want to read. So Owen powers at 33. Yeah. But like literally I like done nothing so far in his first, I mean, yeah. he was serviceable, but nowhere should not be there as of right okay. now at 35, John Carlson. Yeah, that one's yeah again another weird one. He's dealt not, with a heart injury, but I, I that's too low. He's yeah, he's not very good defensively, but he still puts up like minimum like seventy points a year. Like yeah, he he's a very consistent scorer throughout his career. I'd have him higher. Um, uh, where where was it? Uh, Evan Bouchard, uh, forty two. Yeah, so I'm surprised he no one wasn't. Jack and his rating up a lot because of his playoffs. But yeah, I mean, that's a fair spot for him right now. Again, if he can do it again next year and, you know, have a little bit more of it be even strength and not just all power play points, I think he could easily rock it up into the top 20. Um, I mean, 
did I, offensive did I numbers mention Rasmus Anderson at 43? No, you didn't say it was there. So, I, yeah, I would have him higher than Weger and Hannafin. And then uh, Seth Jones at 46. Wow, he, he did crack the top 50. Good for him. I, I, I get it. His... Because his contract is a, a freaking yeah. anchor. As, but as a player, he's still, he should. He's still yeah. better than 46. He probably still makes at least the top 25, I think. He, Ooh, like, that's, a, that's a bit his, much. After this past year, like he, his, a lot of his numbers rebounded. His, his defensive numbers got a lot better. Uh, he I still put up like, right now around 30, right I points. think. Because one year is like, one thing, but like again, the Carlson was a one-year, you know, can he repeat it type thing or improve? Um, I think around thirties, okay for him. I think. Yeah. But again, yeah, he definitely could bump up because, like you said, his numbers did improve, but he just needs to capitalize on it rather than again take another couple steps back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those were most of the ones that uh, jumped out to me on that list. Um, we've been going for quite a bit of time here. Do you want to do a little bit of a cliffhanger and save the, the goalie one? Cause you said the goalie one was pretty controversial. Do you want to save that for uh, the next one we do here? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Uh, I definitely thought the goalie one, one and... was the most reasonable, but, uh, people definitely seemed more pissed off about it than, uh, than the rest of them. So that's a perfect cliffhanger to leave it on then. All right. Um, is there anything you want to, you know, kind of add here before we, before we hop off here for this one? Uh, I guess, uh, Yager, if you're listening, like, Fucking sign. just like tell, yeah, sign, sign for one year and, uh, and just tell them that you're going to play all 82 games. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you <laughs> to, um, Everybody for listening here, um, you know, make sure to check back frequently for the next one to drop if you want to uh, hear those goalie rankings. And uh, we will catch you in the next one.